Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us as well. Today, we're starting a new series called The Money Challenge. And I would really encourage you to get a hold of the book that goes with the sermon series. It's out of the lobby. Uh, There's a suggested donation, but don't even worry about that. If you can't afford that, then I want you to have this information. That's perfect. If you can't afford it, take it for free. Just grab one because I want, this will be so, so helpful to you. And as your pastor, I love you and I want things to go well for you in all areas of your life. And this book will help you to do that. It's a quick read. Take about an hour if you read it from cover to cover. Very, very quick read, but it can be life-changing and encourage you to do that. Now, there's basically three parts to this. It's just very, very simple what the Bible teaches on this, the biblical principles that we're looking at. Give generously, save wisely, live or spend appropriately. And so today we're going to talk about give generously. Next Sunday, you'll be fascinated by all the biblical principles, so helpful, so practical on saving wisely. And then the last Sunday of this month, live or spend appropriately. Now, how perfect is that that we're going to be studying that on Black Friday weekend. It's like, God got that set up or what? We, we did not plan it that way. God planned it that way. And so that, I think this is going to be incredibly, in a concrete, tangible way, very, very helpful to you. Now, the passage we're going to start off with is one of the shortest stories in the Bible. Little story, and yet it's one of the better known ones within the Bible. Well, the old-fashioned term was for it, we called it the parable of the widow's might. It's in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. So they were in the temple, and they were giving in and through the temple. Now, when you see the rich in this story, immediately we all identify with the poor widow rather than with the rich. And we don't think, well, that that doesn't apply to us. Nobody thinks that they're rich. Uh, They asked the Gallup poll a few years ago, asked the average American what they consider rich. And they said, if a person made a household income of $150,000 a year, that would make them rich. And yet I just read an article a couple of days ago about people that are upper middle class, which is $150,000, $170,000 a year, and they were talking about how they can barely make it in life, how they can barely make ends meet. And so nobody thinks they're rich. And so the average American say, well, if you made that much, you'd be rich. And people that make that much say, absolutely, I'm not rich. Uh, Money Magazine, a couple of years ago, asked all of their subscribers, how much money would you need in assets to be rich? And they said $5 million. If you had $5 million in the bank, then you, you would be rich. But I bet you if you ask those people, they said, no, 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 I'm not rich either. So none of us think of ourselves as rich. But almost all of us within this room are rich compared to the world standards. If you compare us to the world If you make $45,000 total household income, that is if your total household income is $45,000 or above, you are in the top 1% wage earners in the world. So if we make $45,000, that's $10,000 less than the average American makes, $20,000 less than the average Californian makes. If you make $45,000 total household income, we are in the top 1% wage earners in the world. So we always hear about these one percenters. Well, in the world standard, we are them. We are, uh, most of us, the one percenters. And so when we look at this story, we need to identify with the rich here. He also saw a poor widow who put in two very small copper coins. These are called lepta. 
They're each one one twenty-eighth of a denarius, which was the amount of money you'd get for a day's work. And so the two of them together is one sixty-fourth of a day's work. So I would say it's like one or two dollars. So uh, the rich are putting in out of their excess. They're putting in their money. She's putting in one or two dollars, but that's all she had uh, to live on. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. That is, it was discretionary money for them. But she, out of her poverty, that is, that is what she was counting on just to live, she puts it in and she trusts God to take care of her needs. She put in all that she had to live on. Now, there are five takeaways that I want us to get uh, from this little four-verse um, story of Jesus. First of all, giving is to be a priority. I'll admit to you, I'll confess to you, that when I was a young pastor, started out 24 years old, I dreaded preaching on giving. I was just like, oh my goodness, how embarrassing is that? I was preaching to people who were paying my salary and promoting giving to people to my own self-benefit. I thought it was the tackiest thing I could. You guys know the term tacky if you're Southern, you know the word tacky. I thought it was the tackiest thing in the world. I was just mortified that I had to preach on this, okay? But now, after 37 years as a pastor, 36 years as a pastor, it is like my favorite subject now. And I'll tell you why, not for the reasons that you think. It's my favorite subject because I've, like, seen it work. I've seen it work in Kimberly in my life. I mean, we started out making $13,000 a year. That was our household income. And started tithing on that from the very beginning. And it was just crazy how God blessed us in our family life and in our work life and, and in our personal life and in our marriage. And it was just crazy. And so I began to just want to share this with other people. I saw as a pastor how people that applied these principles, God began to just like work in their lives. And so it's kind of like one beggar telling another beggar how to find food. And it was just like it became like a driving thing for me. So I love to talk on it because I realize it's not about me and it's not about the church. It's about you and God's blessing on, on your life. We have a, a core value here at Purpose Church, that generous people change the world. But I'd add a little PS to it. Generous people change the world and generous people are changed by their giving. It changes you to give. God is the biggest giver there was. And so whenever we give, we become more like God. Jesus, as we're going to share in the Lord's Supper, we're going to remember him as giving his life. Jesus was the greatest giver that ever lived. And when we give, we become more like God and we become more like Jesus. It literally changes everything about us right down to the chemical makeup uh, within, within our bodies. Uh, the very first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to set goals and follow through. At the age of 23, he had become a millionaire by the age of 50, he became a billionaire. And this is in the early 1900s when a billion was decent money back then, I want to tell you. So he becomes a billionaire, first one in world history, probably the richest man that ever lived in human history. Every decision, attitude, and relationship was tailored in his life to create his personal power and wealth. But three years after he became a billionaire at age 50, at the age of 53, John D. Rockefeller became ill. His entire body became racked with pain, and he lost all the hair on his head. Oh, my goodness. I imagine what that would be like. You know, so. <laughs> so in complete agony, the world's only billionaire could buy anything he wanted, but he could only digest milk and crackers. An associate wrote he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. 
His personal highly skilled physicians predicted that he would die within a year. That year passed agonizingly slow. As he approached death, he awoke one morning with the vague remembrances of a dream. He could barely recall the dream, but knew it had something to do with not being able to take any of his successes with him into the next world. The man who could control the business world suddenly realized he was not in control of his own life. He was left with a choice. He called in his attorneys, accountants, and managers and announced that he wanted to channel his assets to hospitals, research, and missions work. Uh, he, he was a Christ follower, passionate Christ follower. Uh, he, his roots were American Baptist. Like, that's the roots of, of our church. As a matter of fact, a little side thing here is that John D. Rockefeller, he's the one that seeded the money for the American Baptist Retirement Fund that several of our pastors, including myself, are still a part of. And it's one of the healthiest funds of any denomination in all of America because it got seeded with John D. Rockefeller money because he was American Baptist. And so here's this guy that died 20 years before I was born. And he's still blessing my life through this decision that he made. But a lot of it was towards world missions. Um, on that day, John D. Rockefeller established his foundation. This new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of discoveries resulting from his choice is enormous. But perhaps the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is that the moment he began to give back a portion of all that he had earned, his body's chemistry was altered so significantly that he got better. It looked as if he would die at age 53, but he lived to be 98. Rockefeller learned gratitude and gave back from his wealth. Doing so made him whole. It is one thing to be healed. It is another to be made whole. And so it's to be a priority. And I always say that whatever you want God to bless, put him first in that area and he'll bless it. If you want him to bless your marriage, put him first in your marriage. If you want him to bless your family life, put him first in your family life. If you want him to bless your job, put him first in your job. And if you want him to bless your finances, put him first in your finances. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The second thing is giving is to be done proportionately. Um, Jesus said that this woman had given proportionately a sacrificial amount uh, from her income. And there's a tendency today to be impulsive in our giving. And I see this more and more within our culture where we, we just don't give anything until our heartstrings get tugged on something and we see some need and we respond to it by kind of impulsively giving, but it's not a systematic or strategic thing. And the Bible teaches that our giving is not to be impulsive, just where we, we feel a need and we give to it. But instead, it's supposed to be strategic. It's supposed to be consistent. Um, it's, it's supposed to be something that strategically is built into our lives so that by the end of our lives, cumulatively, there is this tremendous impact when we get to heaven. It's not like just sporadic here and there. It's a cumulative, uh, powerful thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Paul writes, on the first day of Every week, first day, Sunday, when the church gathered, because that was resurrection day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income as a percentage, not as an amount, but as a percentage in keeping with your income on the first day of every week. Now, please don't get me wrong. I don't think this is legalistic. The principle behind this instruction is that we are to do it systematically and consistently. 
And so some people do it every pay period. Some people do it once a month. Um, everybody kind of does it different. But the whole point is, it's to be consistent. It's to be on the first day of every week on a consistent, persistent, strategic uh, way. And we're to do it in proportion uh, to our uh, income. And I would encourage you that, you know, if you've, I know that it's just so hard, the biblical standard or guideline, I should say, of the 10% tithe, 10% of our uh, income going to that. And that's what Kimberly and I have practiced from the very beginning. But I know if you've never done that, this is like me talking to you as an alien that just landed from another planet. It's just like, this is crazy. And so, you know, I said at the first service, you know, if you just can't wrap your mind around that, give 5% a week out of your income between now and the end of the year. Or, or 1% or 2%. Give one, if you've never given anything or you don't do it consistently, 1% a week between now and the end of the year. And if you don't go broke... Increase it to 2%. And if after 6 or 12 months you don't go broke, then, then it's the only area in the Bible where the, the Lord says to test me in this. Now, I know I get in trouble with the pastor's union on this one, okay? I, I had some retired pastors grab me after the 830 service, said, love your message, Glenn, but that whole 1% thing, I don't know. But, but let me just tell you, see, I, I see it as a spiritual discipline and not a matter of sin or something like that. You know, I mean, if it was adultery, I wouldn't say, try to cut down to committing adultery. <laughs> you know, try once a week rather than, once a month rather than once a week. You know, or if you're robbing stuff, if you're stealing stuff or murdering, try to murder one person a month, cut it down from one a week. You know, you wouldn't do that, all right? But see, I think this is a spiritual discipline. And so to me, you kinda, it, kinda, it can grow on you. Like I wouldn't say to you, if you've never read the Bible today before, read the book of Leviticus once a day for the next 30 days. It would kill you, you know? And so you'll hear us say, you know, if you've never had a daily Bible reading time, start five minutes a day. And then if that is a blessing to you, move it up to 10 minutes a day. And if that works in your life, then move it up to 15 minutes a day. God said, test me in this. And so I encourage you, just start somewhere and do it um, persistently. On the first day of every week, each one of you set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income and just see what God uh, begins to do. Now, another principle is that she gave through the temple. And she's giving through the temple. The rich are giving through the temple. And the poor widow is giving through the temple treasury. Giving is to be done primarily through the local church. Uh, Kimberly and I, what we've practiced in our marriage from the beginning is that the first 10% of our income goes to the church that we're connected with. So back then it was Homer Baptist, and uh, now it's Purpose Church. So the first 10% of our income goes to Purpose Church, and then anything over and above that giving goes to friends that are missionaries or our children, uh, John and Natalia, our son and daughter-in-law, our missionaries in Peru, or compassion children, or other needs. But we give our first 10% uh, to the local church that we're connected with, in this case, Purpose Church, and then over and above that, we give uh, to other things as the Lord leads. Uh, Malachi 3, verse 10. Uh, Malachi said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse uh, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. See, there's the only place he says this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, this phrase here, storehouse, and sometimes you'll hear pastors talk about storehouse giving that is through the local church. And it reminds me of a ministry that we, we continue to have with Ron Blomberg, uh, but uh, we had years ago called Storehouse Ministries. 
And um, it's just amazing. God's timing this week is just incredible on a, on a number of fronts. And many of you at this service may not know him. Many did at the 830 service. But we had a former pastor named John Heck. Anybody here remember John Heck? Okay, some do. And uh, he went home to be with the Lord a couple of days ago. He, he went to heaven. And he's kind of the unsung hero of the story we told last Sunday. Remember last Sunday, we had the 30th anniversary of the worship center here, and we celebrated that. And I talked about how in 1993, when I first came, we were like on the brink of bankruptcy, six months away from bankruptcy, and how uh, God used people that took out, you know, loans or bonds, and that was such a wonderful thing. And then God increased our giving as our church began to grow, and, and God just did a miracle. But kind of the unsung hero of that miracle was John Heck. Half of his duties were pastoral care. The other half were helping people to figure out how to leave a portion of their will, their last will and testament, uh, to our church. And it was unbelievable in those first years that I was here. We'd hit a crisis, and out of the blue, every few months, somebody would bless us from heaven. Somebody from heaven. They'd been gone six months or a year, and boom, out of the blue would come this blessing from him. We go, praise God. And they're up in heaven giving each other high fives and watch what this is going to do. And it just saved us time and time again. Anybody remember an usher we had named Bill Bowden? He always wore a red sport coat right over here. Anybody remember Bill Bowden? Had, had, yeah, had the softest hands of any man, uh, man alive. I mean, he was just amazing. Well, he did that, and lo and behold, out of the blue, we're, in, we're in, in trouble, and boom, you know, a blessing from heaven from Bill. Keith and Mary Corstens, how many of you remember that name? And here he was on this little pastor's salary, and his wife was had a polio victim and in a wheelchair, and Keith and Mary left us something in their will, and it was just like, I mean, tears came to my eyes. I'm like, are you kidding me? When all of a sudden they've been in heaven for a while and, and all of a sudden just to meet a need at, at a particular time. And we have that with Ron Blomberg, who's going to be here on Thursday. And he'll be a tremendous help to you. Kimberly and I met with him. And, you know, 10% of our will is, is, is going to go to Purpose Church. It's, it's 10% of a vast estate. I mean, we're just not going to... We're not even have to take offering for a couple of years after that happens. So I am way better to you dead than alive, I'm telling you. You know, so at any rate, uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But, you know, we have that 10% in there. And he showed us how strategically we could just do that in a different way. So we still left the same amount to our children, but gave the church even more just strategically how we did that with stocks and, and, and various things that we are supposed to do within that. And he'll, he'll do the same for you as well. And so we just praise God for John Heck. When he went to heaven this week, he must have begun to have high fives to all those people that he led to save our church during a very, very uh, strategic time. You know, there's a principle here. The main principle of our core values we've been talking about is that generous people change the world. But there's another one of our core values, that we are better together. And there's something about giving through the local church. You see, the thing that God's trying to break us of is having to have control of our money. And so some people, they, 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 um, they just want control of their money. That's why giving is so hard. But even in their giving, people want control of their giving. And so you see this trend more and more now where people say, I'll give, but it has to be to exactly that project that, that rings my bell or that I'm passionate about or that touches my heart. And I don't want to give through the local church because I want to save it and just give to my specific thing that my heart breaks for. And the wonderful thing about what we call storehouse giving or giving through the local church is that you release control of it and there's kind of a mutual submission to the body of Christ. 
You know, if I had written our 2018 budget, it would look very, very different than this. Okay, all my, my missionaries that are personal friends of mine um, would have been in there. My, my kids would have been in for, you know, five times as much. My salary would have been twice what it, what it is in here, you know. Uh, it would have been my pet projects within the church. The budget would look very different. You say, well, Glenn, you're, you're lead pastor. You must have tremendous control. You'd be surprised, okay? And so this is an act of, of submission, of lack of control, of submitting to the body of Christ, of admitting we are better. Together we can do things like you saw in that little one and a half minute video. Together we can do those things. Together we can feed two and a half million people. T- together we are better together. There's this thing in our culture today that I call giving relativism. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about moral relativism where everybody kind of does their own thing morally. It comes from James 21, or Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fits. Everybody just kind of did their own thing morally. Well, I think there's giving relativism more and more in our culture today, where everybody just kind of does, does their own thing. There's no king. There's no temple. There's no storehouse. Just everybody does as, as they see fit. And we lose power in that. There is power in we are better together. We can do more together than we can, even all of us, individually. And then giving is to be done sacrificially. Uh, there's an element of faith in it because we're, we're sacrificing. You can look at that passage, 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, where King David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He said it needs to, it needs to cost something. It needs to be sacrificial, just like Jesus was talking about with the widow there. Giving is to be done cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 7. The Bible says each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or because Pastor Glenn guilted you into it by, by this or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, a cheerful uh, giver. Um, now there are some common objections um, uh, to this. There are a couple that I, I want to talk about. I've got to get my finances in order first before I can give. And you know what I find? I don't know that I'm ever going to get my finances in order till the day I die. I mean, you know, Kimberly and I have spent our lives trying to get our finances in order. Maybe some of you have it. Some of you bankers and some of you accountants, you know, you might be there. But I find if you wait to do, if, if you wait for anything in your life until it's in order, you'll never do anything. You know what I'm talking about? And we found that in our lives. And we actually found that it helped us get our finances in order when we started with the giving piece. When we started with the giving piece, it's amazing how that kind of helped us get our finances in order. And then another common objection is I can't afford to be generous. But boy, I would say um, you can't afford not to be. Can't afford not to be. Uh, Boy, at this point in our lives, it would be terrifying. I I would be terrified to live on 100% of our income. Because Kimberly and I, through the years, have found that 90% of our income with God's blessing or 87 or 88% of our income with God's blessing just goes so much farther than 100% without God's blessing on it. And so you can't afford not to do this. The only way you can afford to live is if you include God as a business partner uh, within our finances. And so finally, start somewhere today. Just start somewhere today. And, and, and there again, you know, maybe it's not every week, it's every, every pay period. You know, I think online giving is one of the most strategic things you can do. 
I mean, that's, that's way more, you know, very strategic. I, I'm one of those old-fashioned guys that likes to put an envelope in the offering plate. I'm just prehistoric that way, you know. I, I learned that from my dinosaur-riding father, and so I, uh, you know, want to do it myself. So I love just putting something in. So that's, like, fun, fun for Can I tell you something that's crazy? This is, I, I, I probably don't have time to reveal this. But at any rate, Kimberly and I, I love putting it in so much. It's so much fun for me that we have two sets of giving envelopes and we divide our tithe between it. Because I never want an offering plate to pass by either Kimberly or me without us putting something in. So last Sunday, we had this guy from Transformation Ministries, uh, Tom Rayner, uh, was uh, with us because of our 30th anniversary. And he sat next to Kimberly during all three services. And every one of the services, Kimberly puts an envelope in, <laughs> puts an envelope in. And she's like, this guy must have thought, okay, either two things. Either she's the most generous person around, or those envelopes are empty. They, they are empty. There's nothing in those things. So, so for me, I think it's fun to put something in. But those of you that do online giving, I think that's the most strategic of all. Because then you're giving whether you're here or you're not. And I think that's the most consistent, systematic, and, and strategic. But just start somewhere. Start 1% from now to the end of the year. Or dive in 10% uh, a week till the end of the year. Just dive in. God said, test you. And he said it on the tithe, so give it a shot. But if that just seems like, just blows your mind, or, you know, it's hard to agree on that if you're married and in your marriage, you know, start with one, two, three, four, maybe 5% uh, every week or every pay period or whatever till the end of the year. And if God blesses it, test him, and then if you find him to be faithful, then up it a little bit the next time and the next time and the next time. Even if you get to the tithe, we've gone beyond the tithe because we just find you can't outgive God. Does anybody want to say amen to that? All right.